Hello, and welcome back to Industry Town, presented by John Rosenfeld Studios. Uh, we are going to focus this week on content that seems to have become the buzzword over the past few years. We don't just make TV or movies, we make content. Streaming libraries are buying lots of content. Do you make your own content? Are you making? Are you being told that you should make a short film or a web series or videos for YouTube or Instagram or TikTok? I know the answer is yes, and I know that being an actor now in 2020 means that you are a creator as much as an actor or performer, which means you're also a writer. Some of you are loving that, and for others, that's somewhere between something totally unknown and something terrifying. So this week's guest is here to talk about actors who are interested, or feel like they need to get involved with, writing. Kyle Andrews is a writer and script consultant. He got his MFA from Emerson for acting, and he's been writing as well as acting for almost 20 years. He's worked as a development consultant and writer's advocate for a bunch of screenwriting resource companies, and he recently opened his own screenwriting consulting business, which you can learn more about at kylefandrews.com in the show notes, uh, where he puts a big focus on helping actors develop their writing projects. He's currently working with actors and writers on their shorts, series, features, and narrative podcasts. We had a great conversation and talk about what actors should know about writing, from structure to style to story, uh, what books you should be checking out or skipping, which screenplays you can learn a lot from by reading, and a ton more. So whether you're on the 101 on your way to an audition, or at the base of Runyon or cleaning your apartment. I hope you enjoy this one and learn a ton. Here's Kyle. Lock it up. Very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Kyle Andrews, welcome to Industry Town. Brian, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, so my understanding is that along with being an actor and a writer, you are a script consultant. That is correct. So tell me, what what is a script consultant? What, is uh, it, what does that mean? A script consultant, oh, well, a good one anyway, is somebody who can help the writer see things that they may not be seeing in their script. Um, whether that is how the story has been structured, what the characters are doing, how the dialogue is landing, and we use that information to try to help the writer tweak the script. And by tweak, I could mean little things. I could mean maybe a page one rewrite. Who knows how big the tweak needs to be? But we're an outside voice who has experience mm -hmm. to know not just how to write a scene, but also write the scene for collaborators like producers, directors, actors, and anybody you might want to sell it to. So when people talk about like a script doctor, is it the same thing? Uh, you know, a lot of these words are interchangeable. I think I prefer not to use the term script doctor because that tends to say that there's something wrong with the script. And I, I don't tend to believe that scripts are ever wrong in that sense. It's just about finding the uh, best expression of the message that you're trying to get across. I mean, that is a beautiful and like altruistic and lovely <laughs> message. But God, if I could be like, hi, script doctor, MD for your needs and your screenplay. Yeah, I, see a little I, bit of that. I would have trouble not doing, maybe not with clients, <laughs> but everywhere else. I'd have business cards. Well, I would feel like Doogie Hauser in that moment, I think. If I were doing it that way, it might feel feel like I'm wearing my dad's pants a little bit. Okay. Like, um, I, I also, you know, story analyst, script analyst, script consultant, uh, friend of the writer, you know, anything you want to call 
really it's it's about the quality of the person behind it mm-hmm. and the empathy that you're giving to the writer. And that's not the same as a ghostwriter, right? You no. never come on and like rewrite these for them, do you? I won't rewrite scripts for anybody. I will help them rewrite. Um, but at the same time, there are things that I will write. I will write pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, one of the things I offer writers is the one page marketing pitch. You know, um, a lot of writers know how to write a screenplay. What they uh, don't know how to do is take that screenplay and get it in front of the people who can actually make it a movie. A, a screenplay, the, the fun thing about a screenplay and the mind-numbing thing about a screenplay is that it is a form of writing that is not the final product. It is not, if it's a good script, if it's the best script ever, it's probably not going to be read by anybody except the people who are buying it and involved in making it into a movie. So approaching it that way with a sense that this is actually about building your blueprint and making sure the blueprint is set is is a, a, a subtle distinction that a lot of writers, especially newer writers, have to be brought into. And even even 20 years in the career, you still want to click into, you know, this is a product I'm trying to make into something else. What is the difference between a blueprint and I guess what I'm uh, kind of extrapolating, you're saying new writers think is like a finished product, a right. complete story? Well, What's it, the difference? Look at it this way. If you see, if you see a building, mm-hmm. you, you can appreciate the building and all the artistry in the building. Uh, and so putting artistry into a story is important. Some writers also like to do flair or, or, or you know, I'm not against flair in a screenplay. Flair in a screenplay can be useful. We want to connect to what you're writing. But ultimately, it's setting up something greater. And so if you're an architect and you make drafting plans and you put all of these wonderful flourish into the uh, into the plans, but it's not going to end up something that can be visible on the finished building, then it may not be the most important thing to consider right now. So when you say flair, are you talking about like camera movements as yeah. written by the, uh, you know, basically people telling this is what the movie's going to look like, directing through their script? Uh, I, you know, directing in a script is... I don't say there are yeses and nos for a script. I say write the script in the way that you want to, in the way that you can best express your ideas and get them ultimately to the person who is reading them. Uh, So if you want to have a moment in a scene where you're making a choice as a writer, I'm okay with that. I certainly make choices in in my own scripts. The problem is when you start... Stepping in, camera angles, directing emotions. And really, for me, it's actually the, the directing emotions. That, give me, an ex- that give me a, it could be a real example or just, you know, make one up. What does directing emotions mean? Uh, this character feels this way right now. I mean, that is, you're basically giving a line reading to the actor to tell them how they're supposed to feel. Would that be in the action line? You know, mm-hmm. like, Jessica feels sad? Or is it uh, Jessica, next line, parentheses, with sadness? Uh, a little bit of both, but really, it's, the, the concern does... Um, Poor Jessica, you know, also. Poor Jessica. Know, so sad. Yeah, I, I hate seeing happen to such a nice lady. But um, and we're not supposed to tell her how she feels. Is what <laughs> no, you're telling me? Clearly not. You shouldn't tell her how she feels. She's supposed to figure that out herself. But okay. um, but in the parentheticals, first off, if we're talking parentheticals, the use of parentheticals is just to get something across that a quality of the speech across that can't be given across in any other way. Like uh, you have two people um, that the uh, character could be talking to in the parenthetical you write to character A so that it's clear that this is directed to that character. And that, that's simple. It, some people put whole action lines in the parentheticals. That I would avoid doing. Just put those in the action lines. That's what action lines are for. But that's the point. Action lines are for action, description, imagery. Mm-hmm. 
saying how a character thinks inside their head or what they're pondering right now or how they're relating to something is describing the subtext of the scene. We don't care about the subtext of the scene as far as what the writer thinks it should be. We as readers, as audience members, as actors, we're going to pull that in for ourselves. We're going to figure that out ourselves. We just want to see the scene and we want to hear the scene. What if I'm worried that the person who's reading it might find subtext that's different than the subtext I want them to have? <sighs> well, I mean, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> right there. Maybe you should be an actor instead of a writer. I mean, ah, that, gotcha. that's kind of what it comes well, out that to. Is my primary, that is my primary, you know, yeah. my, that's my art form. Well, and that's that's uh, my base as well. You know, my, uh, my degree in college is, I have a BFA in acting. Well, let's go backwards then. Let's start there. So where'd you go to school? I went to Emerson College. Emerson College. Shout out to my fellow Lions out and, there. And then just straight out to Los Angeles from there? Oh, no, I took a couple years in Boston. You know, the nice thing about Boston, it, it is a, a good city to get your feet wet in as mm-hmm. far as the acting goes because at that time, you know, I, I graduated in 2007. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, the economy collapsed mm-hmm. right as I graduated. But uh, one silver lining of being in Boston at the time was the Hollywood East community was yeah. building up. So Boston got a lot of films filming in town because of the Massachusetts tax incentives and that made it easy to do a lot of background work. Oh, and nice. really, What kind of movies? Oh, everything. I did everything, man. I was uh, The first was Great Debaters at Harvard. I got to be dressed in period costumes for four days. That was fun. Uh, the Proposal was really great. Had an <laughs> awkward run-in with Asif Manvi. That was fantastic. Um, I got to play a cop in uh, the town. Actually, I got uh, my first SAG waiver from the town. Uh, all I did that day was I was dressed as a cop playing catch with a football with this other guy dressed as a cop on the Fenway Park concourse. It was at Fenway Park. So it was like... <laughs> wrong ball, but right place. Wrong ball, totally right place. Great idea. Ben was there directing the heck out of everything. They were like, I don't know. That was the scene where it's the it's the siege at Fenway Park. Yeah. So... Um, that was the last thing I, I actually filmed in Boston before I came out to LA. So that was That's a nice capper on Boston. A high note to go off on. Yeah, yeah. I was filming at Fenway. I'm ready to move away. Yeah, it was the it was the wicked good time that came. Yeah, it was <laughs> wicked good. There it is. Have to get that in. There. He's wearing a Boston Celtics sweatshirt right now. We just have to call that out. But check this out. Oh, and we've got socks now. We've got oh, but we've got Dodger socks. Dodger socks. I have to represent. I've been here for eleven years. You I'm, are a Boston, LA wearing person. I'm a, that's that's a shocking combo. You know, if the if the Celtics weren't kicking so much butt this year, you'd see me as a bigger Clippers fan than than I think you would expect. Please address any hate mail to Kyle <laughs> Andrews. Uh, all no, all basketball. All basketball opinions are pro warriors on this podcast. Um, anyway, so um, you come out here, talk about how you found yourself writing screenplays and, and how that has led to actually having a script consulting business. Well, you know, I've, I've, I have been writing, you know, dabbling in writing scripts for just as long as I've been an actor. So probably, you know, 20 years on that. I, uh, the first script I ever read was um, Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. I mean, great movie, great script, just absolutely great script. And I actually, I still have that, the copy that I got when I was, I think I was 16 when I got it. I'm 30 now. So, um, yeah, it, it really stays with you. And then moving out here, you know, I did the acting thing. I had a commercial agent. I went out for like 300 commercial auditions, 175 callbacks, you know, booked one commercial. <laughs> so that's the way, you know, I was on the commercial business died. <laughs> and then it died. 2012 things suddenly switched. And I was like, I can't, this doesn't work anymore. Um, so 
uh, you know, being a restaurant manager and things like that, just having my base here, really struggling with the acting thing. And then a friend of mine from back east was out here, uh, and she had an opening at her um, script uh, resource center. There's a, um, you know, competitions and uh, consultation services where there are larger companies with um, several people on staff. Those are big in, in this end of the industry. So I was roped into doing that. So my first job really dealing with scripts was on this end, the the um, reading scripts and doing feedback for them, appreciating okay. them. I, I didn't just do feedback for them. I actually ran a... So it's not just coverage. Um, You're actually dealing with the writers and giving them feedback uh yeah oh oh certainly so so in many contests have a feedback arm so uh ideally personally i think ideally if you are sending to a contest for them to put you into competition ideally they'll give you some feedback back i personally would like to see a few pages where it's really actionable notes as opposed to i like this i don't like this you know this is ah whatever uh that's not very helpful to me so what i like to see is actionable suggestions that allow the writer to think and move their work forward and reading 20 different writers giving those sorts of notes and like going into it with them i I ended up at this point i've i've been in this side of the industry for about six years now i've Mm -hmm. read over eight thousand scripts holy cow easily how many a day um well if we're talking full scripts, yeah. I can I can hit four four scripts in a day. Wow! Like if I'm if I'm going to read start to finish, uh, and it's they're not all features. Lots of shorts, lots of half hour pilots, lots of hour long pilots. Some competitions. If you're reading for a competition and scoring for the first round, mm-hmm. you know the the dirty little secret is you only read the first twenty pages. Yeah. Or so. That's that's um, an unfortunate circumstance that I don't know if those those companies are going to be able to change mm-hmm. um, because you know if they really like those first 20 pages do they read the rest or are they making that's their what decisions from there so this may be news to people but uh, if you pass the first round of a, of a script competition and this is pretty much across the board it's basically they said this is good enough that we want to read the whole thing interesting and and yeah and that's you know it's understood it's hard to see how they could do it any other way and not like I also think people need to get over it if they're feeling bad about it because honestly if if we don't like the first 20 pages of it do you really think it's going to change later and it's the same thing with an audition if you blow the first two pages of a scene it doesn't really matter if your ending beat is swell you know that's that's true the the problem is actually the reverse the problem is if somebody's first 20 pages are great and they are taken and then suddenly they're making semifinals all the time they think great i'm getting semifinals all the time this is a great script it's ready i could take it out but really it just means they have a great first 20 pages that are consistently it's it's i always call it it's it's the 40 page cliff by the time you get to page 40 you realize where the bigger concerns are the first 20 pages that's the first so it's people getting lost in in act two yeah act two it's the act two troubles and i'd say most writers have them and um the the I don't know whether all these sirens that we're hearing are going to make the podcast, but if they do, I just want to note it that they showed up the second he showed he was wearing Boston and L.A. gear, and I think they are looking for Kyle. So if this just ends abruptly, that's kind of what it's... Oh, see, they're getting closer. I actually think it's the Chicago underwear. Uh, There we go. The trifecta. You got to have all of your... your boxes checked dallas nipple clamps or <laughs> no never dallas <laughs> come on 
quick break to announce something I'm really excited about, which is that I'm going to do our first ever mailbag episode really soon, where I'm going to answer any and all questions for an episode. So you can ask me something about acting, business side, or anything we've talked about with the previous guest. You can get real specific. We can talk voiceover or marketing or social media. Look, uh, my living is made acting, teaching acting, and teaching the business of acting. So I nerd out talking on all of this stuff. So if there's anything that you want to get a perspective on from your career that you're working on right now, I would love to chat with you about it. So send an email with your question to industrytownpodcast at gmail.com and uh, it might get read on the show. So thank you so much for that. Let's go back to Kyle. It's just major American cities. No, no, no. Okay. Um, I think that they're past now. So continue. Tell me what you were saying about uh, people getting into trouble around page 40. Sure. You know, after I get into trouble with all the Dallas fans. Sorry, Dallas fans. I love your city. It's beautiful. Um, So yeah, uh, around page 40, they get into trouble because... It, it comes down to, it, it could be a number of things. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this idea. Uh, good beginning, good end, completely uh, barren middle, mm-hmm. uh, where they haven't even so th- thought some of this stuff through. It could be lots of filler. Or really, it's the the character journey starts to become a bunch of hesitations. And random things start to happen. And there is totally room in a script mm-hmm. for a random situation or two, a coincidence. The yeah. audience will allow for a coincidence to come in because often we miss it because we're just following the story. It's when coincidence after coincidence after coincidence is driving the plot forward. I, there's a Pixar rule of storytelling I love, which is a coincidence can get your character into trouble. It cannot get your character out of trouble because then it's the deus ex machina <laughs> and then you're cheating. You mean like those cops out there. It's like actually the, they're exactly. here for Pixar. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And deus ex machina is something I coach writers against, you know, I love structure. I love seeing dominoes and how dominoes are set up and then knocking those dominoes down. So I do a lot of actual coaching on setting the dominoes up so that when you get to, you know, it's Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun is something that all writers should think about when when they can because it's not just about a gun. Mm-hmm. Um it's also well related to Aristotle's three acts. I, I as far as structure goes in a narrative arc, you save all the cats you want. Cool. As long as it's a, it, it takes the story from A to Z in a way that I enjoy and can understand. Great. Whatever method you want to structure. Three acts, beginning, middle, end. That feels to me like a good, good, strong, solid base. Three, the rule of three isn't just about structuring the overall narrative. It's structuring your jokes. The rule of three jokes, you know, um, it's about pattern. You set up a joke with a pattern. Introduction, repetition, mm-hmm. variation. We teach that go. with sitcom acting all the, the time. And, yeah. and that stuff, you know, sitcoms are wonderful because they do that with comedy all the time. But it's not just comedy that can do that. Drama can do that too. Foreshadowing. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's gun is not just see the gun, use the gun. There's also a third component to that, which is consequences of using the gun. Mm-hmm. It's a three-act structure on that too. So... We try to get to that. What's the setup for this? Mm-hmm. I see this moment. Give me the setup. How do we get from A to B? B is where we are now. And then B happens. What are the consequences of B happening that then take us to C at the end? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's back up a little bit here. Um, 
you offer this service. I mean, you help all writers, but part of the way that I got to know you and hear, and hear about your work is that you specifically try to help actors find their way in writing. Why why should actors be writing? What is it that they're going to learn about their acting? You, you know, give me a little bit uh, in terms of the in that part of your not just writer centric practice. Right. Well, I I love working with writers who have a foundation in acting because they are able to see you know it's like oh suddenly i can see the matrix that happens when you have a foundation in performing this stuff from a place where you aren't analyzing it in anything but a personal way you are feeling it out you are seeing how your character uh, approaches consequences, how your character uh, approaches what they want, what happens if they don't get it, what happens if they do get it. Um, that is good information to use. A lot of writers don't think about their characters in that way. They don't think of them as <laughs> as people, first off, but they don't think, they, they think of them as ways to uh, get really interesting dialogue out there or ways to, this person stands in for this and this is a thematic use. And those are all totally fine. Those are great reasons to have character. But going three-dimensional with a character, actors know how to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the reverse of that is that actors don't necessarily know what their place is in the larger script. They could see who their character is and they become very character focused. And that is totally fine when you are trying to, you know, you're you're setting up the stakes for yourself uh, and you are trying to do it in a way where you are being and doing and feeling and not so much thinking. Like mm-hmm. if you're thinking it's character thoughts. You want to have those character thoughts when you're writing for every character. And I think for an actor, it can inform so much about how you approach um, character by seeing how how the writer has laid out the scene, how they have, you know, put everything around you. What what a, a good writer who's not writing subtext delivers all the information for an actor to figure it out themselves. Actors want to figure this stuff, stuff out themselves. So it helps to start writing to see how they can give that. How would I give that to somebody else? Like, and that's where you, know, you start learning the difference between writing, directing, producing, and acting. Because they are four very necessary components that you should know at least a little bit about how to do yourself all of them. So that you know what your role is when you're doing any of them. So when an actor learns how to dabbles in writing learns a little bit more of it if you your argument and i think this makes sense to me is that the next time you're looking at material you have a better idea of the blueprint the writer has laid out and you understand what is my job on how i'm supposed to add to this and Mm -hmm. breathe life into it and what their job is and how to respect that piece and use that effectively to inform those choices. Absolutely and in fact it's that sort of information pulling that you can get from writing stuff for yourself, writing stuff for other people that will then make you a more attractive and marketable actor because people will bring you into the room and they will see the producers, every every actor knows this. The the people who are on their phones eating the food in the back of the audition, those are the producers. They know that you're here to impress them. They want to be impressed by you, but they're not gonna make it necessarily easy. The way you impress them 
is not by showing that you're a great actor. They're expecting you to be a great actor. They want to see the role that they had in mind when you walk in the room. Mm -hmm. They want to see that you've got not just an approach to who this person is, but you know where this person fits in the world they're trying to create. Because so often actors are thinking it's all about them. Mm -hmm. And really, I mean, your own work is about you. Your life is about you. It's not that you're unimportant, but that you are a, a small piece in a much larger puzzle. And if you're making choices, kind of like you're you're slashing through the rainforest, and I just, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm making these gigantic choices, but you don't actually realize the larger the larger picture. That's where I think I think focusing on commercial acting can get you a little bit in trouble because that that is the point of commercial acting you are supposed to be it's what the product is selling you know the copy you know what your role is in selling it but you're selling yourself in that sense and you are as much of the product as the product itself because people who who want the product will remember you from the commercial features uh, narratives fiction all those wonderful things it's more than that so let's talk about scripts. What do you what do you wish more actors understood about screenplays or story in general? That is a really good question. I wish that actors would step back and recognize the world that their characters live in more. Okay, go on. Um you know Actors are really good at sensing their own place within the dialogue. You know, di actors can be very dialogue focused. And so we relate very much to what we're saying mm -hmm. and not as much as what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We, you know, on stage especially, we, the, Shakespeare doesn't give a, a line of description whatsoever. He doesn't give, he does, you know, his exeunt followed by a bear and that's about it. Everybody knows that one. I've got it tattooed on, you know, on my back. Um, I don't, but maybe I should. I played Antigonus Winter's Tale. Oh, did Love you really? that part. Yes, being a 12-year-old running away from a different 12-year-old wearing a fake bear head. Early good memories. That it seems it yes. seems like it stuck with you. Um I've never actually unfortunately done that one. I you know, Winter's Tale. People people all want Midsummer Night's Dream every yep. time. So um I've done Midsummer four times. <laughs> I don't think I ever want to do that one again. Um but yeah, it is uh it is left a lot to the actors on stage to figure out where I am, what I'm doing in that place. And that's okay. And really on set, you should have a little bit of that too. But a writer has often written down a scene for you to do. And good actors know that they have to give credence to what the writer has written. I wish that writer, uh, actors especially those who don't get to write themselves, would focus a little less on improvi improvising the scene. Improv in the dialogue, improv in the actions. I think especially, you know, actors who are still finding their footing and maybe haven't had the success that they're looking for don't understand that they're there to fill in the blanks for the writer, director, and producer. Um, and they're supposed to put their, their own twist on it. Yes, absolutely. But it's making the scene about me, making this, this, this choice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak, you know, I'm going to add all these words because I think I know better. <laughs> because I'm the character and I get the final word. And that's great. And then your director and your editor who actually have the final word are going to have to cut all around that. Yeah. You know, there are, there are 
actors should know there isn't one film. There are three films. There's the film you write, there's the film you shoot, and then there's the film you edit. And you really need to know where you fit into that process so you are making the job of everybody involved easier, not harder. Yeah. So when an actor wants to start writing, what do you want them to know then? When people start trying to write their own scripts, what are some of the kind of fundamental misconceptions? Uh, that it has to be perfect on the first go round. Okay. Absolutely. You know, um, actors know rehearsal. We know that we're going to get the blocking, we're going to learn our lines, we're gonna flub, we're gonna be imperfect. There's this whole rehearsal process. And you know, the, if you have a bad dress, you're gonna have a great opening night. No. Um, in writing, new writers often want to write perfectly. Mm -hmm. So rather than just going and doing and getting it all out on the page, they will get stuck on the first few lines and be like, is this the perfect way? Is this how exactly I want to say it? What, what's the right word choice that is going to get everybody to see exactly what I'm saying here? And that's just a whole lot of effort that isn't necessary. The first draft is what we call a vomit draft. It's a vomit. You're vomiting your ideas on the page. And really, you shouldn't give it any more credence than vomit. Because that's really what it is. It's, it's just disgusting. Nothing that came out of you. I don't know what this is. I don't know what I ate last night. But it's here and it's on the page. After you get the vomit out is when you go back and you say, all right, what is this thing? <laughs> and then you figure it out. You know, outlining is so wonderful because you get to set up your structure but even that doesn't need to be perfect because you're going to make changes as you learn you know when you're in the when you're learning about a character you learn you read and read and read and then you learn and then you act you get it on its feet and then you learn more about your character well you're doing that in the writing process too you're just learning about it in a more analytical way I think how should people start developing their stories because I think some people think they're supposed to sit down in front of like a final draft blank document and like hey, I guess interior and you know these people are there where are people actually supposed to start supposed to uh, or sh I, you know what are some places to start rather than supposed to yeah I, I say you know my favorite way to start writing is just sit and stare at a blank wall honestly because thinking you know when I start outlining that's not the first step in my process because I've been thinking for days, weeks, months, years about this idea that I have. So certainly the best way to start is to have some thoughts and have some good thoughts and have an idea that you're like, I need this in my life. I need to make this. You know, my favorite scripts to read, especially for TV pilots, are scripts I'm like, I... I want to. I want. I want to watch this now. I want to. What's episode two? What's episode three? What's what's coming in? Um, and that's really what actors or anybody who is starting out the writing process needs. They need an idea that hooks them because if it hooks them, then they can get it to hook us. Be excited about what you're writing. Be excited about this new idea. And then, don't be afraid to fail at writing. You know, it's that the best line I was ever taught in an acting class was fail gloriously. Yeah. You know, that, that works for writers too. So this word structure, we keep throwing it around, throwing it around. I feel like that is one of those things that a lot of people are like, yes, my script that I eventually write should have a structure. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is that? So structure is my way to say organized. Okay. It's just organizing your thoughts and it's doing so in a way that we can understand whoever the viewer reader is we can understand what you're doing you know there is no standard structure for a film yeah you're going to have a short 
first act, a longer second act, and uh, an end climax with a big moment, and then uh, a resolution there. Mm -hmm. However you want to structure those things is totally up to you. Then when you get into TV, it's it's like there are so many different ways to go, especially with streaming now. There used to be page counts, uh, specific page counts you had to get to if you were doing a sitcom. If you, yep. That's all gone out. You need to have a certain number of act outs mm-hmm. to help sell soap in between you know, moments to keep people coming back. Right. Yeah. And nobody's buying soap on Netflix. Nope. Right? So, so it, but at the same time, I often encourage writers, especially if they're starting out, if they want to have a streaming show, Still try to structure it within a typical act break breakdown. So what is an act break? Define an act break. Uh, You know, it's a a place where the energy is shifted often. It's a place where you've gotten to a point where now something changes. My favorite definition I ever heard of this is uh, it's a decision made by generally your protagonist from which there is no coming back. It fundamentally changes what that story is therefore going to be about that that's that is a cool way to put it i like that that's a very actor centric way too because it focuses on one specific character you know the protagonist may not be able to push anything forward often the antagonist is the one really driving the change it doesn't even need to be that it's when something is but like uh so my favorite way to break this down was the film crit hulk book which did it basically the five act structure by shakespeare and like uses romeo and juliet to do that and basically it's i think act one is like i'm gonna go to that party things will never be the same after that. And then it's the commitment to Juliet. And then it is the death of Tybalt. And each one of those things, there is no going back from the decision that's been made. Mm. And that always made it make a lot more sense to me. Three act never made, I mean, I get the idea of beginning, middle and end, but that still feels formless to me because it's the middle is going to be, you know, 80 minutes of your two hour movie. Well, I ideally that you're, you're structuring within that structure. Okay. You are having turns and twists and, and everything. You know, lots of different screenwriters and lots of different coaches have different methods. You know, Save the Cat is a very popular one. It is excessively formulaic because Mm -hmm. it has you do specific things at specific pages or around specific pages that work, you know, in in the film medium, but they end up building very similar stories and storytelling methods. You know, I'm sure that you could fit a Quentin Tarantino film around that Save the Cat structure, but that's not what Tarantino's doing when he's putting anything together. I love reading Tarantino scripts. They are so, so, so dialogue heavy. They Mm -hmm. are so dialogue heavy, but it's brilliant dialogue, and the point of the dialogue is it is brief. He never really lingers until he has to linger. And you don't really recognize that because it's so engaging. But it's banter, 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 long monologue, long monologue, long monologue, banter, 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 banter. And that you're not seeing the structure behind it, but it is there. It is inherent because he's building something within the scene. He's building that tension. He's you know, the first scene of Reservoir Dogs is one of my favorites because it really just gets into who these people are. Mm-hmm. If you want to know how to get a big scene of lots of characters and let your audience have a relationship and build a relationship with all of them, watch Reservoir Dogs and read this script and see how 
Mr. Pink, Mr. Uh, White, and eventually uh, the big boss, they all have their own perspectives and it's laid out completely within this and then it builds through the rest of the movie so we see why they make the choices they make. Yeah. I mean, even uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I know a lot of people... I haven't seen it yet, so... I, a lot of people have said that it's a weirdly structured movie. You can't, it, you can't really feel where it's going for a while, but on some level, it's a very simple movie. At the very beginning, you pull up to DiCaprio's house, he and Pitt, and he points to the driveway next door and he says, behind that gate, Polanski just moved in. God, I want to meet that guy. And really, on some level, the entire movie is, can DiCaprio get over that gate? That's really, despite all of the different trips, it's like a single want. Every choice is kind of made out of that desire. Mm. Obstacles come in to keep it or not. And well, I won't tell you how it works out for yeah, him. Please. But yeah, but you should absolutely see it. Holy it's, fuck, did I love that movie. It's in my it's in my screener pile at home. I gotta hit that one. Um, what are the unique challenges of writing a short? How does a short different from a feature? Because a lot of people at the studio and a lot of people who are making their first thing are not going to start by writing a screenplay. They're going to write by starting by writing a short. How is a short different from a movie? Uh, I think that the biggest thing issue for writers is that they look at it as if it's different from a writing feature film it's it's not much different you want to you want to keep the same sort of uh building of tension mm-hmm. uh catalyst for what the choices that your hero is making um but with a short i think that this is the way for writers to start start with a short because you can make a short Start with a podcast because you can make a podcast. Um, these are these are things that help you build the experience that you need to then move on and make a, a movie or a TV show. Look, nobody, no writer is going to make a TV show. We really need to prove ourselves for that. We sell a script first. You know, showrunners they don't start out showrunning. They build to being a showrunner. And with a short, that's really your opportunity to do everything, be everything, um, pitch everything, sell everything, make everything. So have an idea. Have a good idea. Give it. How do you know if it's a good idea? Because you like it. I mean, okay. So it's that love and excitement. You're never going to sell a short. (laughs) That's the problem. You're not going to sell a short. Yeah. You're, you may uh, get it into a festival. Great. Mm -hmm. Really, you're making that short to make a short, put it online, show it to friends, like show what you can do. So if it's good, if it's bad, whatever, man, make it. Like, I think a lot of people, Whiplash was a short, and then it became an Oscar-winning movie. Who cares? Whiplash was a short first because Damien Chazelle had a great idea, and he wanted to make it, and he made it, and people loved it. And then everything happened after that. Yeah. Same with Short Term 12, too. I remember seeing that short. God, so fucking good. So your argument is that fundamentally it's not that different. It's not. It's really, you know, it's it's all it's a, just a smaller bottle. What are some other scripts that people should take a look at if they want to see expert structure or expert something? Get out. Okay. Absolutely. So what makes that script so great though? What uh, what is it about that? It's again, efficiency. He doesn't waste any words in in what he's saying. Uh, he doesn't tell you so that what you literally mean that like the page count is not bloated and reading page to page to page, you kind of fly through. There's a lot of white space down the page. You're not getting bogged down in excessive description. Everything that's there is necessary. There's no fat on the bone. Absolutely. That, that's it. Exactly. Even even the word choices when he writes his descriptives, they're very simple and to the point. Writers want to use 
you know, big words that we really like to show how smart we are, but that's not necessary in a script. We just need to see the image. Show us the image. What's this cool image? If adjectives are great to give a little color to that, but like, don't, don't give us seven paragraphs. Look, Charlie Kaufman, who wrote Adaptation, he wrote uh, Being John Malkovich, some of the best movies ever. I would never tell a new writer to read his scripts because his dialogue, his, um, his dialogue is brilliant, but his descriptive paragraphs, it's all just a massive block of text on the page. He can get away with that because he has great connections, he's brilliant, uh, it, it took him a while to get noticed in town, but once he did, like, he's, he's brilliant, and his dialogue, you know, good dialogue can often save scripts like that. What is good dialogue? Like, what makes good dialogue different than it bad pops, dialogue? It pops, you see the character, you see, you, you know, it's not just fun to read, it's like you see the person who is saying this stuff, and it's engage like, you know, being John Malkovich opens up in a when he goes, it's an office where he's on the 13th and a half floor and just talking to the receptionist about the 13th and a half floor or the 13th floor. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably forgetting the yeah, very the 13th specific. floor like is yeah, halfway. Yeah, it's, it's the halfway, right. So weird, that, weird comparison to Parasite, which also is the half floor thing. Wow, but, yeah. we really got in there. Yeah. See, it's, again, you don't, don't just read the basic scripts. Read the ones that really confuse you. Yeah. <laughs> um, what about TV scripts? Well, if somebody wants to see like how, um, like what's an excellent half hour script or an excellent hour script that people could look at, just again, to see some examples of something that's working on a high, high level. See, that one's a little different because if somebody's script has been made into a TV show, often they're already, they're already there. So like if you read the Breaking Bad script by Vincent Gilligan, he's doing a lot of stuff in there that's really fun and really engaging that if a newer writer did they might get the script thrown out which what kind of things oh the whole first thing is about how i mean it's so great the the very first image is you know that uh the pants flying the pants flying waltz in his underwear as the rv is just uh, taken off and it's there but the way in which he writes it is very you he's talking directly to you the reader about how this thing is cool and he's going off and it's just like it's a big chaotic moment and it's great it's really great as a writer i love it as an actor i love it as a director I'm sure you could pull a lot from it. Producers, especially if they're not creative, especially if they're nitpickers, they may look at it and go, well, I don't want to work with this guy. He's a weirdo. And that's really the, the leap. So it's just the, that there's a lot of director, director, director work happening in the page. It's don't talking even call about it director work. It's, it's just he's, he's expressing it to you in a fun way that is using a lot of words that he doesn't need to use but wants to because he wants to express this, yeah. this feeling. And... That's something you get to do when you have the sort of career that Vince Gilligan had before that. Or, or uh, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, Robert uh, Moore. Mm-hmm. The Bible for that, where you're explaining the series, is 54 pages long. Yeah. Nobody's going to read a 54-page Bible from a newbie. Well, did they have that even, or was that oh, after yeah, the it, show was already... It, it was 54 pages long. But it was, was it after the show was already made that they fleshed out the Bible? Or oh, what? no, no, no. He, that's the, the whole thing about that show is really they didn't... <laughs> he didn't have the five seasons figured out, yeah. which is why that last season's a little like, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. I gotta love that show, though. I, I love the show. I think it was harmed by sci-fi splitting it up into so many half-seasons. Yeah. That was such a pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, one uh, 
hour long script that I ride for to death is the pilot to the shield. I find that that pilot is just like incredibly perfect, incredibly well structured. And that was when a show was just starting to have a serialized plot line plus a plot of the week. And they do both of them so fucking well. You know, I unfortunately have neither read nor seen the show and I'm Michael Chiklis is from like two towns over from me in in Massachusetts. Uh, That's my vote for most underrated television show of all time. Is it? I, that doesn't, I also think it's, on probably a top 10 list but underrated like many people have not seen it and i think it might be the best uh pilot and finale combo period wow like, it's it's a it's so much better than people are that show beat the sopranos at the emmys the first season when fx was not a thing and no one remembers that it's <laughs> a good point yeah i mean it's like that that show is not fucking around i highly recommend that one um what do you think about voiceover and scripts Oh, use it if it works. Don't overuse it. Uh, I was working with a writer recently who had a voiceover on top of a voiceover on top of a voiceover, and that gets excessive and hard to follow. Um, You know, a lot of people want to explain. So voiceover basically explains. It gives context, and Mm -hmm. that's fine. When is it cheating and when is it using it right? I don't think, you know, cheating, I don't think cheating is the right word. It's out of place is what it becomes because... You know, you want your audience to have the, all the information, and if voiceover is the best way to do it, then then do it that way. I often find that it becomes a crutch. It's a crutch to provide exposition and backstory. We need backstory, but it's it's not necessarily the best method to get backstory across. My favorite voiceover is Arrested Development because I do feel like that voiceover is its own character and it's providing a perspective on these characters that they are unaware of that creates a dramatic irony with the audience. Well, that that is, but that's also a narrator who's not involved in the story itself. It's Mm -hmm. what, you know, so that's a little, that's a little different. He becomes his own character and the way they break the fourth wall with it is genius. And so if you're going to have a voiceover like that, comedy, you you can do so much in comedy and breaking the fourth wall like that in comedy, that's perfect for it. Um, it, it's when you get into a character like doing the doing the uh, uh, what's the uh, To Kill a Mockingbird thing, where Scout is throughout the course mm. of the play, she's narrating the it's whole the thing. The Sex in the City. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and I mean, again, that has been made to work in the context of that show. Uh, well, it works because she's a writer, so it, it, does. it does give it. Just See, an that's excuse. where I like voiceover. I like voiceover when it's not just a disembodied voice talking over everything. Like even Goodfellas, even Goodfellas, you can say that what he's telling us is his report in the witness protection program. Yeah. Like that's that. So you can give that. It, if you're going to have a voiceover, just give it a Genesis. Don't make it just the voice of God speaking above everything. Give it a reason to exist there. Um, trying to think, is there any other, oh, <clears throat> this is a big one. Um, people often, when they write, they write, want to write, they're, they're told to write what you know. Does write what you know mean write your life story? Man, I could, I'm planning on a whole blog on that one. Write what you know does not mean write your whole life story. Write what you know also doesn't mean, well, I'm a writer, so this character is going to be a writer. Or, hey, I'm an actor, so this is going to be around acting. Or I recently broke up with my girlfriend, and so I'm going to write that fight. <laughs> right. That is a very basic way to use that idea. For me, if you're going to write what you know, it's about really, what do I know? Well, let's take a good example. Have you ever had a pet? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a dog? I mean, yeah. this is where actors and writers, it really should, it's, it's all related. You've had a dog. Have you ever 
Has that dog died? Have you lost that dog? Well, then you know loss. And you know how to use loss as a quality to give to a character to explore for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's how you use what you know. I lost my dog the day before Thanksgiving. Thanks for bringing it oh, up. Oh, man, no. I'm so sorry. It's okay. No, I actually have a tattoo that I got just a week ago that I uh, have his paw print now forever. But yes, I do understand loss. And boy, can I put that into a character, whether I'm performing it or writing it. That's um, There was a Mike Birbiglia uh, essay that I think he wrote on on telling your on telling your own story, mm-hmm. and one of the things he he talks about is like yeah tell your own story but tell the one that you you don't want to tell yeah if Ooh. you want to tell it the odds are it's not that interesting or it, or it makes you look a certain way that is much more curated for you than for someone else but the one that you're like oh I that one either is hard for me to tell or I'm worried that people will feel a certain thing about that's the one that's the one. Well, yes, but not yes. And yes, but on this one. Uh, And the but is that you want to make sure that there is enough of a separation as well. Uh, It it is important to. Yes, he's talking about personal stories. He does like one man shows and stuff. that are entirely personally based. And I love honestly, one man shows are perfect for actors because you don't just act, you write. And this is about uh, I, I love I love solo performance. John Leguizamo is my idol. And you know, Whoopi Goldberg, people know her as, you know, Sister Act, The View. Before all of that, she was a solo performance artist and what she was capable of doing, making people laugh, making people be so happy, making people just have a joy in what she's saying and then, boom, switches it, makes them upset that they were just laughing at this situation because she turned the tables on them and gives them a little bit of information that they didn't know while they were laughing. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it becomes about this girl having an abortion. And like, wow, I was laughing at that? This is a 15-year-old girl having an abortion and she just made me laugh and now I know what it is. I feel like crap now that I just laughed at that. Yeah. Yes. So so it is definitely that. Um, But for screenwriting, you want to be able to step back a little bit from it as well, I think. Um, Any other large points that you want people, actors who are dabbling in writing to be thinking about as they get started with theirs? Yes, read scripts. Read scripts and read them not just to see what a character is doing. Often we get trained to focus on a character that we relate to and watch that character's journey, and that's fine. Focus on what all the characters are doing. Focus on what all of their storylines are. Uh, and yeah, read, read scripts, because there are a ton of scripts out there. If there is a movie that you really like, chances are the script is online, and you can Google and find it. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to be careful with that. You don't want to find a transcript. Yeah, Transcript is often just some Yahoo sitting there watching the movie and writing out what they're seeing. That's not what you want. You want a real... Uh, I always say, Google search the script title plus the word script PDF. Yeah. The PDF will make your chances of getting the actual script a lot better. Um, okay, so we get the actual script. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any other scripts that you're just like these are like these are some of my favorites of all time? If people want to take a look at them, any others that stand out? Well, honestly, any script that for a movie you really like, because if it's a movie that you are um, you relate to, then seeing how the writer established those things lets you see how why it made an impression on you so much um specific scripts i like clearly shawshank redemption one of my favorites it's so good uh lady bird is a really good script um let's see what else uh 
Goodwill Hunting is my favorite movie, and mm. so uh, I, I don't know if that script is available online, but that would be, be. That's one that I love to tell actors because they're like, oh, yeah, because Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, they, they wrote it and then they made it and they're actors, but they're also writers, so they have screenwriting. Oscar, yes, all of that is true, and they had like seven or eight other people helping them. Yeah, they had a script that. where he like became in, like a spy. Or yeah, like half of it, and they're like cut that whole second half. Yeah, of it. that's what it is. You really want to have somebody who can say, "I get it. Mm-hmm. Let's go with this direction." Like Gus Van Sant was the best thing that ever happened to those two, and 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 Robin Williams. Uh, favorite books to recommend on writing? Um. Mm, Books or classes, uh, or... You, you know. I so if you're gonna read a, a book, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to see what Save the Cat has, it can be very informative in that way. Personally, I'm more of a uh, um, John Truby, The Anatomy of Story. It that is good. A lot of these books are about structure because that is the last thing that we as actors tend to think about, and mm-hmm. I think people getting into writing, figuring out you know, the outline, all of that stuff, how I'm going to put that up. It's something we don't want to consider. We just want to write our story, man. So um, books on structure, read a bunch. Don't just read one, read a bunch. Read, uh, you know, the the Scriptwriter's Bible. If you really don't know anything about screenwriting, Scriptwriter's Bible. But honestly, reading screenplays, I think is the best thing to do. Reading, like, if, if you want to read one a, one a week, two a week, three a week, that will, because you will get to see not just this is how you write a screenplay, but you see how this artist wrote theirs and how this artist wrote theirs and what they are doing differently, even though they both made great movies. Yeah. And if somebody wants to work with you, what is the best way to make that happen? Uh, me personally? Yeah, um, if they want some script consulting. Well, I have a website. Uh, what is that website? That is Kyle F. Andrews. It'll uh, be in the show notes, but yes, Kyle F. Andrews. Uh, dot com slash consultation. Um, I offer a lot of things. I, the way I make my approach, you know, a lot of, a lot of coaches, uh, they know they're good at what they do, so they charge as they know that they're good at what they do. I believe I'm good at what I do, but I'm not going to charge that amount. So I'm, I'm very affordable. Uh, I just want to meet writers and help them get their career started. So I do script consulting. I do pitch consulting. I do monthly coaching. Uh, I'm actually working with a JRS student right now, Eva. She is brilliant. Her mm-hmm. podcast is just, we've been working on it for four months. Yeah, don't just think that your writing is screenplays, pilots, and shorts. Narrative podcasts are something that is uh, is a new medium. There's a lot, it's like the Wild West, claim some territory out there. And yes. it's also uh, a fewer barrier to entry in terms of making it um, and honestly you could sell the podcast um, or eventually use that as proof of concept to make you know to get uh, money to make it into a short or make it into a feature or make it into a pilot so consider narrative podcasts and consider narrative podcasts even more because it takes away being able to put an image on the screen mm-hmm. so suddenly you have to tell a whole story with just dialogue and sound it is incredible what happens when you have to deliver information in an engaging and interesting and not uh, what I call wiki fact way. Perfect. Um, last question. Uh, do you think, uh, in light of the uh, baseball cheating scandal, that the Dodgers should be awarded the two last World Series? You know, considering all of it seems to be Houston's problem, yeah, if they want that World Series, I'd go ahead and give it to them. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so there we go. Uh, Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I hope people come to your website, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Me too, Brian. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. 
That's it. That's the episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Kyle and thank you to presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios. If you're interested in working with Kyle or want to check out some of the screenplays we mentioned today, check out the show notes. It's all there. And if you're enjoying the show, which, let's be honest, you're almost an hour in, so what are you doing if you hate it? If you're digging this, please give me a five-star review on iTunes. That would just mean the damn world. It really helps the show. Also, your social media shout-outs are the best way to spread the word, and lordy, does it make me feel good. So, consider doing that. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then.